0: The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today
1: I will be honest, it seems as though each and every week, Holly, and we've now done you know 250 guests later, mm-hmm. each each week our guests just continue to get better and better, and I feel like you and I are doing nothing with our life. <laughs>
2: that too i'm like what have i done with my life i'm just gonna live vicariously through all of our incredible guests i'm so excited for today's guest
1: yeah um we had received a couple messages that had said uh talk with troya and it's probably going to be the best decision you've ever made in your life so why not do that and uh troya butcher how are you yeah no pressure
0: No pressure, none at all. Hey, Holly. Hey, Johnny. Nice to meet you, and thank you um, for even allowing us to have time. And I, I look forward to telling my life. I hope I'm not. I hope I'm not too boring for you.
1: We like to ask the skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. Troya, who are you, and where did you come from?
0: Who am I? My name is Troya Butcher. I have. I was born and raised in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I am one of. A bunch of us because we grew up and I'm a pastor's kid and I have five siblings, but but we have had a t- ton of um, foster children come in and out of our home. So we have about 30 brothers and sisters out there outside of my biological um, um, family. Um, and I just and I'm a, I think I mentioned I'm the grandmother of actually six raising four. So fun, fun. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes. And I am older, old enough to have a grandkid or two. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, look at what. Yes. I, um, yeah. uh, And I'm just out here just trying to be, live my best, be the best version of myself that I possibly can be Mm -hmm. and help where I can.
2: Now we often like to ask any PK guests about being pastor kids and about that pressure. Cause it seemed like if you were pastor's kid growing up, that there was certain expectations that the church family held you to that maybe other kids didn't have. Did you feel that pressure?
0: Absolutely, um, but I, 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 I did, but I didn't at the same time because my mom was really good at um, telling people that's my husband's profession. That's not our, That's not my children's. And she didn't. Um, she didn't put that pressure on us. But yeah, we have. Um, but we we came up in a time where. where we had a whole village, and in our village, to yell, scream, slap, punch, pop, smack her butts. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, I was a good kid. I didn't. I didn't have to do all that. But they had complete autonomy to correct us as as they will. And um, um, I look back on it. It was. It wasn't always easy, but it was worth it because. Um, I am today, I don't just attribute that to my to my parents. But when mom and dad were doing what they did to, to take care of the community, the community in turn um, took time, took time out of our lives and their lives and, and, and raised us. But it was it was definitely that it was, we were living in a fishbowl and I got out of the fishbowl as soon as I possibly can. When I when I got out of when I got grown enough to leave. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you feel like maybe you needed to become a pastor yourself or where was that next step for you?
0: I have preachers on both sides of my family. So um, my father, my father, my father's a minister, of course. My grandfather's a pastor. So my brother's older than I, and they're all Lewis's: Lewis, Lewis senior, junior, and the third. So naturally, the Lord should stay with the men in the family. Naturally. (laughs) You know, that's that's what I thought. Mm But uh, back in 2013-ish, he said, hey, Troya, I was like, you talking to me? No, you, you, you gave my mother and father a son for this. Why are you bothering me? So no, I never, ever, 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 ever ministry. Yes. But never, ever, ever decided, thought that I would become a minister um, or, or ordained anything. Um, I love the Lord, and I, I we're we're a singing family, so just I'll just sing every now and again. I'll I'll encourage somebody every now and again. I really don't need to be a preacher because it comes with this, you know. And then you know, being a pastor's kid, no one you, you didn't date then because they were afraid of my mom and my dad. And I said, now man, no <laughs> man really is going to want me because <laughs> I'm a pastor, a preacher now. And it's like for real, um, yeah. So no, I I I'd never. That's not something I ran to. Um, I ran and, and 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 I said I don't know if I can tell this story on on, on your 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 show, but this guy asked me for out on a date and he was a pastor. I said no, thank you. You have tooth track. Stri- yes, two things that I, I that I do not like. You're short and you're a pastor, so no. <laughs>
2: I love that. See, growing up in the church, we had lists, right? Like, okay, you have to love Jesus. You have to be kind.
0: And in your list, you're like, you have to be tall and you cannot be a pastor. Good, bad, or indifferent. I was on people's list. I was on the, the young men in my in my city. It's so funny. I was on their mother's list. Yes, you should date Troy. No, you should not date Troy because Troy doesn't want to date you. Yes, but I was on. You know, I was on plenty of lists, and I was like, Ugh. I tell, I'm silly, and let me tell. I, I should have said that on the door. I'm silly. I I, I, tell people, I tell people all the time. If I had to be Christian, I, I, it wouldn't work for me.
1: You said you had to get out of the fishbowl. Where was getting out of the fishbowl? Where was you then leaving to go somewhere else?
0: Well, I went to college. um, I I wanted to go as far away as I possibly could. But my mother said, we don't know anybody in Louisiana. I wanted to go to Granville State University. My mom said, we don't know anybody out there. I was like, that's the point. (laughs) But ended up I ended up going to a local school where it didn't matter because everybody knew me, knew who I was. Um, And then um, I think at some point I said, you know what, I just need, I was trying to figure out who I was and I I knew I couldn't do it here. Um, And I ended up going to the military. So I went to the military in um, 1989, I enlisted to go into the military because I had to figure out who I was and I couldn't do it here. What
2: were some of those main challenges for you in military? I've had some friends who have gone for tours and it changes a person having to
0: deal with that. So who did you discover you were when you were in the military? Um, well, I've always known I was a strong minded, strong willed person and the military. just reminded me, OK, all that strong mindedness and willingness. You still got to you still got to let someone lead you hmm. and you still be you still have to be a follower before you can lead. And um, but also it also pushed me up with limits physically, emotionally, mentally that I was that was it grew me up. And, and I think it, it helped. Grew me. It, I think the per- first Persian Gulf War really grew me up when I was when I was shipped off to, to a war um, and not under, not knowing whether I was going to come back and it made me appreciate a lot of things. But also, I think that's where um, even though I was grew up in the church, I didn't have a relationship with God, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and when I was overseas in the Persian Gulf War and the Scud missiles were hitting, the only thing I knew to call was Jesus. And because I was raised to teach that you just call on the Lord. <laughs> and I was like, Jesus, I'm not leaving. I have your hand and you have mine. I'm not leaving you now because you now you, it's a per- I, I became I, he became personal. My relationship with God really became personal because I didn't know whether I was ever going to come back home or not. But I didn't know if I didn't. At least I knew. That when, if God decided to take me home, that my relationship with Him was a real one and not the one, not not, and I was living on my own faith and standing on my own relationship with Him instead of what I was taught in the church, which was great, and I'm glad I was taught it, but now I understood what it meant to have a true relationship with God.
2: What was it like to be a fil- a female in the military? Mm-hmm. I've uh, always wondered that because I can imagine it's very male-dominated, kind of like the media, very male-dominated, right. and you have to find your own
0: way of being you in the midst <laughs> of a bunch of dudes. You do. <laughs> and you have to, you do, you have, because, because, again, didn't add to that you're Black. You have, that's a whole nother. Right. That's, that's a whole nother conversation. But to be female in the military, there were a lot of us, and they were, um, I was fortunate in the fact that um, I was good at what I did, my job. I learned my job really well. And I, and I don't know that I just anyone. And then I was, I was, I tell people all the time, I was a knucklehead. I was strong. I was, I was that strong willedness just came out when I was in there. And it, and we, there are challenges in, um, whereas you, you, you can be, um, people will say well, females can't do this and we can't do that. And then we have to show them yes we can. We're, <laughs> we're just as good as you or. Um, but like I said, fortunately for me, I never experienced a lot of those things. I've never experienced any of the, um, the um, sexualizations. I've never, I was never um, physically or, or, or emotionally abused in that manner. So, I mean, I was fortunate God was really looking out for me because everywhere that we went, I, it didn't matter my gender. We were just, we were, we were all working together. We were all trying, we all had a mission and we all had to, um, and we all worked together. But I've, i I've, I've heard stories and seen people. I'm like, why, why would you last I treat you like that? And that's the other, that's the other part. Um, the military and any other place, you have to. I believe that you must stand up for who you are and not accept any kind of treatment. And that, and my, because of that, I think um, it, 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 it works in my, beh- in my, my favor sometimes, and in the other parts it didn't. Um, because I've always been that speak your mind kind of person and sometimes that got me into into trouble with any the other part but but the flip side of it there um they I gained the respect of a lot of people because I just wasn't allowing anyone to take advantage of me
2: yeah I can't imagine uh, I remember i was a little bit i'm a little bit younger than you and I remember sitting in uh, school learning about the war and it was like my first experience of like hearing about war and I just remember praying for the soldiers and um what a difficult season to to go through being deployed not knowing if you are coming back um coming back what was that like I
0: was so excited to come home I I mean because I was over I was over there for 356 days what is that allowed It, it was it was wartime, right? Um, it was funny. Uh, we're from Pennsylvania, so we, we flew through Philadelphia, and we were like one of the last flights that came. And the news, the news. I didn't know then, but my whole family was there to greet us, and it was. But so to see them and for them to be uh, in the news that we were interviewed by the newscasters, it made us appreciate um, America. But also, it was. Cause sometimes, cause, cause it, it was different for us over in the Persian Gulf than it was for the Vietnam veterans coming back. People actually appreciated us and, um, and they, they were, we knew people were praying for us and, and people, and the people, the folks that I was with, they said, we are priests. we know a whole church cause my dad, the whole church is praying for us. And I what I didn't know also wasn't when we went back to Texas, I was in Portland, Texas. Um, I went to a church, a church with a, uh, one of our, our sergeants and my name was on the wall. I was like, Hey, that's me. Wow. <laughs> yeah. A, a family, a good family friend. I didn't realize was out in Texas, her and her husband had moved to Texas and this was their church. And I was like, wow. And so that was, so we had people praying for us that we, we didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we were able to um, be sane because we knew some others that were not, that they were really, I mean, we have our challenges because of the, being in the war but we, we're not as bad as some others, some some of the others. So coming back, it was it was it was it was interesting. It was it was an interesting time. Um, but we're glad to be back home. <laughs> I can tell you that.
1: Yeah. You see, in in a lot of the movies, and there is a lot of the talk of the PTSD and and what people in the military have gone through. Is there the right amount of help? Because I feel as though we're working towards helping, but there might not necessarily be. Uh, enough help for our veterans
0: and there's not if, if, if i'm honest and i've been fortunate like i said um i because in the military the, the the um the standard is if you're you don't you you keep moving the mission has to go on and we're not supposed to really not if you get hurt you're not you're just supposed to push through so that's always what i meant to, that was our that's how we were trained and so for for 20 years, I guess after the war, I, I was kept I was maintaining, but not realizing I was suffering from PTSD. And it looks different for every person. Um, for me, it was um, I was it no didn't matter what time I went to bed, I was always up at two in the morning because that's when the scud missiles were hitting. And I, I didn't realize I thought that was my that was my normal, but it wasn't. I was after so when they realized that I had PTSD, they they had they, they um the VA did do everything that they were supposed to do or help me. But at the same time, I, I'm, a, I'm a thyroid cancer survivor. And that was one of the things they said, it's not my fault. I said, well, I wasn't sick before I met you. So, and the only time I had access to these things was um, when I was over in, over in Saudi Arabia. So now um, Congress, I believe has passed um, that these things have, have, did happen, that we really did have these things happen to us over in Saudi Arabia. Um, but we have to fight to get to, we have to, you have to, sometimes you have to fight to get what you need. Um, and sometimes you can, sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not. You have to, I mean, like anything else, um, we shouldn't have to fight to, 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 to get some of the support that we need. Um, but we do. And unfortunately, uh, 24, 20, every 24 minutes, a, um, a soldier kills himself, uh, a, a, a male or female soldier or a military member kills themselves every 24 seconds. I think it's 24 seconds, it's 24 minutes. But that's un- that's unacceptable in and of itself. Sorry about that. That's unacceptable. We should not, it should not be like that. I mean, Nick, you fight overseas and you come home
2: and you have to keep fighting.
0: Do you ever get this tired?
2: Day,
0: I'm not tired yet. Nope. <laughs> 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 I don't have the luxury to be tired. And um, One, I have, you know, with the grandkids, I don't have time. But um, when it comes to my fellow soldiers, military people, no, I, my my hope is that we help them as much as possible. And when I talk to people, I talk to friends and I'm like, listen, something's wrong with you. I know that there's something wrong with you. And I know it happened because of the military. You need to go get to make sure that the military understands what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, and I, 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 as you can see, I love to talk. I mean, I can, I'm a talker. <laughs> we have the gift of gab and if I'm able to yeah and if I'm able to help one person um as I'm going through and I believe and I also believe that we go through things for other people so I've, I've gone through the process I've been able to tell people this is what you do this is how you do it um make sure you have this make sure you have that because we did um not that we when we went in we went in because we loved our country we wanted to serve we wanted to do something different we wanted to make sure that um we all serve for different reasons but we did. And um, we shouldn't some people should not have to fight long and hard to get a benefit that they that they need.
1: Where did the desire, where did the heart uh, come from when uh, you decided, if you will, to become a, a grief specialist, somebody who deals with grief and counseling?
0: How did I get there? Uh, uh, well, I never thought I would be in a grief world ever it wasn't even something that was on my radar. I'm am I'm a 20 year IT IT consultant, um, that was that was my my career for 20 years. That's what that's my undergrad and my my master's was in that. However, um, in 2016 2019, um, my mentor passed, my grandmother passed, and my best friend passed, mm-hmm. and it was way too much. And again, I tell people as a minister, I understood death, but I didn't understand these feelings, especially after my best friend died what is this? What's going on? And then, um, when I went into therapy, which is not so which is a taboo in the black community, you're not supposed to go, I think it's getting better. Um, she and I were talking and then I, I went, I went through my whole process. I wrote a, I wrote a, um, I got it all out by writing a book, but then I realized that if I'm feeling this way as a minister, as a Christian, as a black person, as a black woman, others have to be feeling the same way that I do. So that's what pushed me to, 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 um, become to work in this world of grief, but if I tell the whole truth, um, I was born, I truly believe Jeremiah 1 and 5. I say it all the time that I was born to this work because of my name, Troya. And, and I tell a real quick story, I have the backstory of my name. Of course, I'm not named after my parent, my father, or any other male in my family because there are no Troyes or Troyas in the family. I felt my parents found my name out in Omaha, Nebraska when they got married um, and they were riding bikes and they rode past this, this place and they would never tell me what it was and, and it wasn't until I was in my 30s until my age um, that I was at work and somebody called from Omaha, Nebraska and I said, yeah, my parents found my name from out there they're like, yeah, Troy's funeral home I was like, I was named after there funeral home Oh, wow but- <laughs> Yeah, it's an Italian last name but it was a funeral home <laughs> so okay so fast forward, yeah yeah so uh fast forward so many years um my path of uh, the path that I was always born to be on um collided and I, I had to make a major choice and I didn't I didn't realize it at the time when I when I went into the work that my I was I was brought into this world to work with people who are grieving um and um, then but when when it happened I just went full in and, uh, because I don't want anyone else to feel like I felt back then.
2: It's uh, it's incredible to think that your parents just wouldn't tell you, but then it makes sense. <laughs> like, Oh, you're named after a, a funeral. You home.
1: don't want to know.
2: Mm, <laughs> right. Mm.
0: And they wouldn't tell me for years. They would, I said, they, they, and, and when I finally did, so I called, when I found out what it was, right, I called home and said, Hey mom, I hey, didn't even hey. say hello. My dad answered. I said, um, a funeral home? Really dad, a funeral home? <laughs> And he goes, Katie, who told her? I said, I can still hear you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Gotta hit the mute button, dad.
0: <laughs> right. And she and my mom, true, true to form, my mom got on the phone and said, uh, she said, well, it's a pretty name and don't nobody else have it. So what? I was like, I'm not disputing my name. I love it. But I'm like, I'm getting wrong." Again, not knowing um, that I was that guy that really, um, at some point that, that I was really, and he was, and every step that I've gone through has prepared me for this, for this, um, for this new life that I'm doing, this new path that I'm on, a new grief work that I'm doing. Um, as hard as it is, it's so very rewarding. And I'm, and I'm blessed that, um, that God chose me to be in this, in this field. Mm-hmm.
1: We're eventually going to tell my cousin Nike, where we, where he <laughs> got his name. Uh, oh no! <laughs> um, so on a, on a serious note, I, I I talk about learning something new every day, and when we have a chance to talk with guests, there's always something that I that I learn. You had said somebody who doesn't go to counseling, especially somebody in the black community, is that a is that a thing? Is that something where? I always thought it was more so guys. Guys don't do it because it's not manly enough.
0: No, it is a real thing in the black community because we, well, we don't like. Okay, let, let's tell them we don't. It's not just therapists. We don't like doctors anyway. Period. We just, we just don't because we don't. Even though we know something may be wrong, it's gotten better over the years. Hmm. And I really don't understand why because I go to the doctor. Um, but I think um, it's different because you're you're admitting because we, we're seen as the strong. We're strong. We're supposed to be strong. And when you go to therapy, there's some, now there's something broken in you, so you're not as strong as you as you are. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of saying, instead instead of we need to reverse that thought process, going to therapy is not not that's that's being strong mm-hmm. because it's helping you to it's helping you to navigate the feelings that you were having, um, and it's helping you to to grow. And that's what it helped me to do, and I think we um, and that's one of my um, goals. And then 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 the whole grieving part, you just don't do that. Um, I, I make the joke all the time. The church knows how to get a, a family from from funeral to the repast, and then at, then they let then they're off then they're left in their own devices, and that's when all the the noise of the loss begins. After um, you're no longer getting chicken dinners from people, or they're not sending every flavor of soda, and you don't drink soda. <laughs> <laughs> to, your, to your house, and then we tell the universal. And I said, people get—I don't know—people get mad when I say, it, but the universal lie is, whatever you need, let us know, mm. and we expect the onus to be on the person who is grieving, trying to navigate this new life mm. that they're living, to say, "I'm broken." And then when you come and tell them, "I'm broken," oh well, you should be over right now. Yeah, but wait. So, what you said on me coming to you really wasn't a thing. Mm. So, yeah, so it's, a, it's a vicious, it was a vicious cycle, um, people needing help but not being able to get it because, and it's mainly because people don't really, just don't, they don't understand what to do with somebody who's still crying a week after the service.
2: Culturally, too, in North America, we just don't grieve well. Um, we're bad grievers. And there's so much to grieve. It's not just when somebody passes. Mm, it, you right. know, my daughters are going through a season of grief because we moved across the country. So they're grieving the loss of the familiar, the loss of being right. able to see their friends all the time or their their grandma. And I think it's important to teach our children how to grieve. And, you know, you're a grandma. What are some of the things that you're doing to help the next generation be able Correct. to process their grief
0: so that they don't have Correct. the same problems as us. Well, I think one, I, um, the first thing that I, I created, I create, I did create, cause we were talking about that. Cause again, the, one of the, thir- one of the terms that I learned in this grief journey is that grief is the loss of a person, place or thing mm-hmm. that we're emotionally attached to. And just because someone, and, and the person can, can be leaving, living, excuse me, and you can still miss them. Like you just said, with your daughters, went across the country, my grandchildren, they, they moved I had to get them from Georgia, and I'm in Pennsylvania, so they lost their familiar. So you know, you I, for me, let them. And I believe that. But one of the things I always say, acknowledge the pain, allow, and then take 15 minutes to just process that. And how about? And, and then recently, I created a kids' book to um, called "You Matter, um, You Matter," kids to help children just talk through what they're feeling. Um, and we talked. And this one we talked about the best friend. They didn't know where their best friend was. And how does that make you feel? How does it one make you feel have a have a best friend? But then how does it make you feel when you can't talk to your best friend, or does something happen to your best friend? And then then we have this extra added nonsense that's going on in the world that we have to try to help, nav- help our children navigate so that they're not afraid um, of the school environment of of all these different things. So. Um, it's important, and somebody says that they're they're not, they're babies, yes, but they they have little minds that that are growing and expanding every day. I think it's fair, and when my grandmother passed away, my grandson may have been like four or five, but he knew her, he knew her, so it would have been um, wrong of me not to let him know what was going on. I used language that he would understand, and I let him see her, but he now, he didn't, I didn't, well, grandma's gone away. No, grandma, she she's went to heaven, or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what I said to him. But he knew that, that, that grandma, I, I talked to them. And it's okay to talk to them because they can understand a whole lot. Because unlike us, we have, they have the internet and everything else.
2: Yeah, right? <laughs> Information is completely <laughs> accessible on a whole new right. level. Yeah. Exactly.
1: The last three years for everybody, has been the longest 17 years of my life. (laughs) And so now there's different forms of loneliness and mental health and grieving, and we can just continue to pile on that list. Mm -hmm. Is is there a best advice that we can give someone who is going through something, or is is there a a one size fits all answer? There
0: is not. Um, And the, the, the truth of them, there's two, there's two truths about grief that I learned that um, and again, walking through this journey, um, one is that grief is as different as the person's DNA. So no two people are going to grieve the same ever. Some people will be very stoic and they'll they'll just take it on the chest and keep it moving. Others will just be a mess. Um, and so it really, and then, then it as it depends on who the person is the relationship you have with the person who is dying, and or the thing that you're losing. I keep saying the person who's dying, but a thing that you that you have lost, um, and how you're attached to that. And then the other part, which really angered me when I when I got into this grief world, was, um, spoiler alert, I say it all the time, grief never goes away. Mm-hmm. Because there's always going to be something to remind you of that thing, person, or place that you have lost. Um, in my case, um, when my grandma passed away, she's the one who taught me how to cook. So when Thanksgiving rolled around and she wasn't here, I couldn't pick up the phone to say, hey, grandma, what do I, what do, I do with this? What do I do with that? And that mm-hmm. took me, cooked me straight back to, that, to, her, to the day she died. Um, but it's gotten, But as I began to process it, it was important to process it. I didn't bury it. And that's what we, we tend to do, we tend to bury it. Um, I let it go. And that, that, so the next Thanksgiving that came around, or the next holiday, Christmas, um, I was better. I wasn't I was a, a sodding mess, <laughs> but I was better because I acknowledged what I was feeling. And I let it out. One of our things, our, our mantras is the, the healing journey begins when you let it all out. And I did. And I sat there. The next the next holiday would have been Christmas. And I just sat there and cried. I can't believe you're not here. Why are you not, are you not here? But then the following Christmas, the following Thanksgiving, I sat down. and I said, okay, Grandma. I said, all right, Rosalie, what are we doing now? How do I do this? And she and I had a whole conversation while I was cooking. <laughs>
2: This is the Why Me Project podcast, and it sounds like you've been through a lot in your life, just a little. Um, Has there been any key moments where you asked God, why me?
0: Every single day of the week. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> no, i feel I that think, i feel that right <laughs> i think the biggest for me was ministry that was the biggest one god why do i have to be a minister why why are you messing with my brother why you know why do i have to do this i'm already the, i always feel i already feel like the odd man out now i'm really the odd man out um but um and then when i had to get my 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 custody of my grandkids because again all of them at the time were under the age of 10 you know, i was like oh <sighs> Why me, God, but then there was this song, the song out I I forget her name, but the name the title of the song was Why Not Me. Mm Um so I stopped asking the why me's and how could I and I changed my thought processes. Is God you allow me to go through this for a reason? Um I may not like it, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna question it this week. Next week I may. But right (laughs) now you're gonna get you're gonna get a why at some point, but um, I understand that I have to I have to go through this because my testimony is going to help somebody else. Um, especially when when I, and I think of, and another why I keep saying that is when I had cancer. Why am I getting cancer? Why do I have to have why I have to can't why what really? But um not even two weeks after my surgery, somebody that I knew was in the, I was at my doctor's office and they were nervous and they were going to go through the same exact process I went through. So I said, okay, that's why because somebody needed to hear the story. Um, and 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 the one thing about me is um, I believe that we're overcome by the words of our testimony. So I can, I no, I no longer, I'm not quiet. So the why the why me's is why I'm here today. Um, because why'd you take my best friend an hour after he and I talked? Well, he was ready to go, but I'm not, okay, God, I'm playing too much. I'm not talking to you anymore because you took my best friend. But um But that why, but that why became, um, Betraya, he told you everything that you needed to know before he left here. Um, but still, you know, so I'm able my, my why has pushed me to purpose Mm. and I just stopped asking like, okay, God, I have to go through this for somebody. I'm going through this for somebody else
1: justtroya.com, t-r-o-i-a at JustTroya on the insta she may have been named after a funeral home but she's breathing life into so many people Troya, we appreciate you so much
0: thank you thank you for having me i enjoyed it
1: it's funny but i don't mean haha funny more so ironic is that we could talk to somebody who's dealing with grief each and every week and we still wouldn't have enough knowledge to be able to help out everybody going through it
2: well, like Troya says, grief is as uh, multiple, is as unique to the person as their DNA. And everyone grieves differently. And sometimes it's just about asking, "What well, what do you need from me? How can I support you during this season?
1: It is important, no matter who you are or what you're going through, maybe you're not even going through anything, to still have that person that you can talk to, whether it be a grief counselor or a psychologist or insert whomever that is, to be able to open the lines of communication, just to have somebody to talk to.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And she, as in Troya, is talking to a lot of people. I want to encourage you to keep her in your prayers as she is supporting uh, those who are impacted in Buffalo with the mass shooting uh-huh. there. So she's uh, boots on the ground and supporting those once the the media is gone and that quietness happens and they're processing their emotions. She's there working with the families. So uh, just keep her and her ministry in your prayers.
1: Speaking of support, you can support us in a completely different way. And that would be by checking out our Instagram. Maybe it's our Twitter. You can follow us on Facebook. And then there's all the downloadings of our shows, Holly.
2: Exactly. And if something that you heard will encourage one of your friends, please share the episode, download, rate, review, subscribe, all that jazz. FaithStrongToday.com. Check it out.